0: Kia thought tato. In this episode, I am talking with Anton Matthews from the Hustle Group. The Hustle Group is made up of HOSPO, where it kind of originated, but has also ventured out into events and uh, public speaking and education, especially in the area of Te Reo Māori, trying to teach uh, the Māori language and trying to normalize it, mainstream it as best as possible. Um, Anton has been a staunch advocate of Uh, biculturalism, Māori Tanga, trying to find ways that we can normalize this in the business sector. And I've heard him speak at a number of different business events uh, where he's trying to encourage people to use Toreo Māori and what they do, but he's never lost sight of where he has come from as well. So I wanted to talk to him about how he has started off as an educator, gone into business, gone back to education, used his platform in business to kind of meld those things together and really achieve what he wants to achieve. Um, we could have gone on for a long time and and so it's a reasonably long episode, but hopefully you learn something from it. I think I'll definitely get him back in the future. So hopefully you enjoyed this uh, and my chat with Anton Matthews. So kia ora e thank you for coming back. Uh, as you know, my name is Eckhart Wehr, and today I'm talking with the amazing Anton Matthews who is a father, husband, entrepreneur, advocate for Te Reo Māori, educator, and uh, founder of Hustle Group, um, which is made up from my understanding of hospitality, which is where you kind of started, mm. and then elements of education and events coming into it, the most latest of which is Angatū 22, yes. which we'll hear about in a second, but Anton is such a my I knew you before I met you, you presence in the media, speaking up on so many various issues associated with Te Mari and Te Reo Maori in particular, but also just your presence in the city and saying, you know what, people need to be fed, and here's how I can provide an option which is authentically New Zealand, and bringing that, those those aspects together for you with regards to fush, how the menus... I think the first article I saw about you is when you came out with a, a completely bilingual um, uh, menu on fush, mm. and people like, all right, this is I don't know, 2018, 2017, and this is the first one we've heard of. It's kind yeah. of like come a long way, but welcome. I uh, wanted to get a chance just to chat to you and how you are going, where, what drives you, what keeps you passionate, and, and just see where the quarter it all takes us. So, awesome. um, as always, I would love to hear from you a little bit of whakafnonga tonga. Mm. Tell me about yourself, tell me who you are, what has led you up to this point in your life. Yeah, or
1: well, ora, kia ora, brother. It's uh, awesome to be here, and I thank you. For the opportunity actually it's a real privilege uh, great way to spend my morning and um, start the week it's uh, especially after the last week we've just had it's been a, been a great year um, so far and coming off the back of mataiki uh, it's really sort of reinvigorated my mm. my wairua, my soul so no it's great to be here thank you um what was the question who am I <laughs> <laughs> yeah who are you yeah well I think you've captured it pretty well uh, I, I am a I'm a I'm a father and a husband first and foremost those mm. are my number one Responsibilities in no particular order. Mm. You know they're different, but they're equally as important as each other. Um, I, I'm a family person, awesome. uh, and and I am an entrepreneur. I think um, that that seems to be the term that kind of captures who I am. Mm. Um, there have been times in my life where I've sort of not really known what I've what I've been. You know, I've tried teaching, I've tried working in restaurants and cafes, and I love them both. And somehow I've managed to mash those two worlds together, and I've got a business that enables me to do a little bit of both. And I like that, I like being accountable to myself, I like setting goals for myself and challenging mm. myself. What I have learned about myself, if I'm being honest, bro, is I don't work very well as an, as a, I'm not a great employee, you yeah. know, because I'm a little bit random, a bit out there, and mm. I like to do things a bit different, and when I'm an employee, when I have been an employee of other people, I think some of my, my bosses have found that quite challenging to work with me. <laughs> So I'm, I'm best kind of on my own, sure. and I uh, I enjoy the challenge of trying to lead people and inspire people. Yeah, and uh, really, ultimately, I'm a I'm a face for my people, mm. for my whanau and so that's probably my biggest responsibility is trying to represent my people as best as I can. Sure, and trying to leave behind a legacy that they're proud of, sure. that my children can 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 look at it and go, hey, he was a cool dude. He did his best, and I don't always get it right. Yeah, but that's the challenge, right?
0: But none of us do. I mean, mm. and this is part of being someone, I, I love that you call your group the hustle group because mm. you're a hustler. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. always looking for that angle, but it also means that sometimes you're not gonna get it right. Mm. Uh, as long as your intentions are there to, you know, be money enhancing in this space, to make life easier for your kids and your family, whatever mm. else it might be, yeah. that's gotta be good. That's gotta be.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, I think the term hustle, you know, um, f- when, I, when I kind of first started Trying to own that word hustle, mm. and I mean own it as in like it, it represents who I am. You didn't
0: not try like, to trademark it, like cure no, <laughs> you know, like
1: going out there and, and, and sort of you know my Instagram is Anton the Hustler, you know, and so my license plate, you know, as you pointed out on the way in here, says I Hustle, and our and our business is Hustle Group. So trying to own that word as in like make it part of who we are as, mm. a, as a brand mm. from a branding point of view. Um, you know, I, I was a bit nervous because it, it can sometimes have a, a negative connotation. Sure. The way I interpret that is, you know, we we're always hungry, hungry mm. for more, hungry to be better. Um, we never sort of rest on our laurels. We're always out there uh, and embracing the hustle of business. Mm. And especially, for, and I think it's because I come from a hospitality background. You know, our first businesses were in hospitality, as you have already sort of said. And those of us who have worked in hospitality, who have been in retail. In uh, other jobs as well but certainly in hospitality when you're part of a really really busy breakfast or dinner or mm. lunch rush you you know what i mean when i say hustle sure. it's it's non-stop you know you you're, you're uh, walking is an understatement it's a brisk walk/jog you know trying to get around the <laughs> restaurant floor see all your tables provide excellent service and hospitality that's what i mean when i talk about hustle and it just never stops sure you know it's for us our business our hospitality businesses are open every single day except Christmas day wow so it's the hustle of you know our, our, one of our businesses Joe's Garage open, opens at 7am in the morning it doesn't close until 9.30, 10 o'clock at night every single day that's the hustle yeah, yeah, yeah you know on my way in here today two people have got COVID it's the hustle of trying to cover those shifts one of them's one of them starts in about an hour and a half mm. and, you know, he's got five shifts this week. It's the hustle of just, it never stops, sure.
0: man. Well, don't worry, we'll be done before you need to find someone to cover that shift. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. That,
1: it's like
0: life it's carries on. Life is hustle. It is hustle. And, and a certain type of person is going to respond better to that than others like I can hear what you're saying right now Mm. and people will be listening going this gives me anxiety Mm. While it almost gets the sense that you thrive on this not that you want this to happen you don't want people to be sick you don't Mm. want that that illness out there you don't want you to have to take up time but also you're the sort of person and personality that can you know respond to that well as opposed to others
1: I think it's a learned and it hasn't always been like this and and like I said when I said I get things wrong sometimes you have those days where you just go oh man it's time to throw in the towel why do I do this to myself and then you know somehow you get through the day and you wake up the next day and there's this this innate feeling that hey I need to go out and create more of that Yeah, it's not the drama it's just the the challenge when you overcome a challenge whatever that challenge might be in life it's a good feeling right mm. and so in business you know you, there are challenges every single day dozens of them, if not hundreds sure. and when you, every time you overcome one of those challenges be it small or, or big you get that sort of rush of hey that was that feels good yeah and so yeah like you said some people love that some people hate it what I have found is that I'm a bit unusual and I've learned to just kind of accept that that's part of who I am and for a lot of people they probably just get tired hanging out around me mm. there are others that go I love this I want more I want to be around you more and and it's, so for me it's the challenge is trying to try and find those people and surround myself with those people yeah and then there are people believe it or not they do way more hustle than i do and i'm trying to surround myself with those people so sure. that i can be inspired by them you know? so yeah It's life man it's fun
0: it's fun <laughs> you've got to keep it fun um and i love that you you, you unashamedly start in hospitality mm-hmm. that's where you've come from totally. but just to bring especially the the way that you bring in te reo maori te ao Māori, the way that you uh, are a public speaker in this area and from the, the the times I've spoken I've spoken with you or been uh, uh, at a talk where you have given a speech, mm. you've been very welcoming into this space where there are many people out there who have wanted to learn more, wanted to start more, and and feel like I don't even know where to start, so mm. I don't do anything. That Pakeha paralysis yeah. um, sense, and I've never felt that from you. i found you've been very welcoming. Well, why is this so important to you? Why is it so important to... I don't want to say mainstream this because it maybe feels like it takes the money away from it, but why is it so important that more people know about this for you?
1: That's interesting. I've never heard the the, the term mainstream, and and is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm going to have to go and think about that. But I think the answer to your question is a little bit about my background. You know, my mum is not Māori, so Mm. my mum is Pākehā. My dad is Māori, uh, and my wife is also not Māori. She's Pākehā. So I think having grown up around... In particular, those two Pākehā women, who you know heavily influenced my life to this day, I've seen the some of the struggles that they've had to overcome as non-Maori wanting to find their place in this world of Te Reo and Maori culture, and um, and I can see you know that I, I know some of those struggles, and I'm not saying that those struggles are better or worse or greater than some of the struggles that Maori who had perhaps grown up urban. Hmm. who have been disconnected to their language, their culture, their marae, you know, the the struggles that they have to overcome. They're they're two different sets of struggles. But the point is, there are Māori out there and there are non-Māori out there who are yearning for a connection to their culture, Hmm. who want this language. Uh, And I think there is a place for both of those groups of people. You know, I, I have, throughout my life, learning te reo Māori, improving my reo Māori, making it stronger, better, more correct, is a constant struggle, even to this day. You know, I think people think, oh, you're a fluid speaker of te Reo Māori. Sure, maybe perhaps to a lot of people, but there sure. are a lot of people out like there who are far better than I am. Sure. And I aspire to be like them. Yeah. It's a constant it's a constant thing that I'm always trying to improve on. But I've seen the language and how the language has kind of grown in its popularity and its strength.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, there are more children today speaking to them. The, the, the language, the Reo that my children speak today is far better than the Reo that I ever had sure. as, at their age. Sure. So that says to me that... Its progress yeah is it fast enough well you know some people will say yes some people will say no mm-hmm. um what is abundantly clear to me is that if te reo maori is going to return to the tongues of um, of the next generation it needs to be used in as much in all places at all times mm-hmm. you know always and always. yeah and so for me that's about trying to spread it and normalize it that's mm-hmm. my contribution you know i was a classroom teacher, mm. and then I chose not to be a classroom teacher for a number of different reasons. Sure. What I have found, uh, where I have found my calling is in business. So the question, as a as a person who was privileged enough to grow up and come through the Kohangareo and Kura Kaupapa Māori system, mm. that wasn't a choice that I made, that was my, my parents, and so yeah. I'm grateful for that. I see that as a privilege. I, I was gifted a language, mm. and I was gifted a whole bunch of cultural experiences that... I could take for granted, or I could use those experiences, and I could use my leverage as a business owner to try and be a good kaitiaki, a good guardian. Hmm. So I think people, when they talk about tanga, stewardship, guardianship, however you might translate that, you know, they think about it from an environmental point of view, and it definitely has an environmental aspect to it. But tanga to me, also extends to our language and our culture. Sure. You know, I have a duty to be a good kaitiaki of my language and mm. my culture and do what I can to leave the language and the culture in a better way than I found it. That's my responsibility during my years that I've got on this planet, on Papa Papatuanuku, is to do what I can to uh, piggyback on all of the work that my ancestors had done up until the point that I came about, take that language, take that culture, all the sacrifices that they've made and make some sacrifices myself to leave the language and the culture in a better state than they found it then I found it sorry. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to use my platform, I'm trying to use my businesses to do just that. Yeah. And so for me, one of the places that I can contribute is because our businesses engage so just our community, I can go, well, as you come in, you interact with our business, let me share a little bit about my culture and my language with you. Hmm. And share it in a, in a way that's safe for people to, to come in, to have a look around, hmm. to try things out, to have a go. And, you know, for every, say, 10 or... So people that come in, one or two of them might go, actually this is really cool, I might hang out a little bit more and, and explore this a little bit more. And that's happened a number of times over the years. So that's kind of my contribution. Sure. I don't profess to be, you know, the person who's going to bring te reo Maori back from the um, te pari or te, te rua, you know, the edge of the cliff or sure. whatever it might be. But how I can contribute is through my businesses, and sure. that's what we try and do every day.
0: And if we talk about mainstreaming or normalising and, and things like that, it yes there might be a single person that's a revivalist but unless you have lots of people using it regularly then you're not going to ever get there you might need to have some sort of totem that can help us mm-hmm. and and focus our energy there mm-hmm. but unless it's it's used like you say young people use way more in education than it was even when i was at high school in new mm-hmm. zealand way more in government than it ever was and yes there are Parts in society where it's not used as much, but it's starting to become. And I remember this: you you say you try to make it a safe experience, but also you make it super accessible with. Uh, and what people need when it comes to behavior change, if we go to kind of the how do we how do we improve behavior for the good of society sort of perspective, and how we can market that, um, giving people little bite sized pieces that they can use in a safe way is super important. And I remember a, a talk you did where you said, um, if you want to use Toreo Māori in in business, start by picking up the phone and instead of saying hello, say kia ora. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, you're not going to have that person yell at you for using that word. But that's a nice, simple way to start. And I think that's what the power you bring as an educator and as someone who has grown up in this way, that you can find those things and educate, especially in the business world, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how things can start to change.
1: Yeah, and I think it's about giving permission to people to have a go. Sure. You know, and, and sometimes as part of that, there's a conversation around, you know, appropriation versus appreciation, yeah. which you and I have talked about at great length. It's about, you know, making sure that people understand that um, it's not there to be appropriated, mm. but if you genuinely want to try and be a, a, a part of this movement in a positive way, it's about enabling people and giving people permission to have a go. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, picking up the phone and starting with Kyoto, the really cool thing about it. Is that when you pick up the phone hundred times and say kia ora rather than hello or good morning or whatever you might have been saying previously, you're right. Ninety nine times out of hundred, people don't get their tail up. But the really cool thing is, people begin to say Kilda back to you. Yeah. You know, and these are people that perhaps wouldn't have said Kilda. Sure. And but but because you live with kia ora, they you've given them permission now to engage in and have a go. So you're actually normalising it in that way as well and that's the, that's the really neat part about this that's the potential is when businesses start to bring this stuff in and, and they make it part of business as usual not just part of Māori Language Week or mataniki you know mm. they become part of business as usual it inspires other businesses and it also lifts the status of the language at the same time oh, sure. so that's really one of my messages you know is actually have a go um, we, we need to be careful at the same time that we don't we don't rub it in the faces of other maori businesses or other maori people who don't have the language because mm. we have to understand that there's a huge amount there's a huge number of maori out there who wish they had to Reo Māori, who wish they had a deeper connection with their culture but they don't for a number of reasons and a lot of those reasons in fact you know almost all of those reasons uh, are not their fault yeah and there's a huge amount of trauma wrapped up in the intergenerational trauma and we have to be careful that we don't go hey i've just you know, I've done a, a, I have done did a one-hour course, or I've learned this new word, and we we don't expect that all Mori out there can help us along that journey, because the truth is a lot of Mori are also beginning their journey, or wish they could, but haven't found the time or the correct oh. resources. So there's a little bit of delicacy there, but it certainly shouldn't prevent anyone from having a go. But I've thought about this, uh, actually, uh, about this concept of people participating at different levels, and, you know, I think you and I could probably agree, whether you like rugby union or not, we can probably both agree that rugby has a very strong presence in this country, sure. yes? Sure, right. So I've asked myself a number of times over the years, what is it about rugby union and your mm. blacks and mm. Super and the crusaders and all that, what is it about rugby union that makes it such a dominant sport in this country? And I think, you know, when we think about it, we go, well, actually, there's participation at a whole bunch of different levels. We have... The pinnacle which mm-hmm. are the all blacks the elite and, yep. yeah the elite and you know perhaps even the captain of the all blacks yep. the rich McCalls and the damn Carters of this world right they are the elite they are the pinnacle but then we also have below the all blacks we have um you know the super franchises then we have regional um teams and we have yeah. clubs and then all the way all the age grade and those are just the players sure. right down to social even people yeah. that don't want to compete but enjoy throwing footy around and then we have On the spectator side, we have the same level of participation. We have people that will watch every single minute of any rugby game, regardless of who's playing, they will watch it. Down to people uh, who who actually won't watch rugby at all unless it's the World Cup final. It's a big game. It's a big game, and that's their contribution. But when you add all of that together, the sum of all of that participation Mm. from the people who aren't that engaged to the people who are deeply engaged in rugby, creates this culture around the sport where it's really, really strong. So if that's our example, if that's mm. what it takes to create a strong culture around a sport, well we should use that as a as, as a model. As yeah. a model for a language, right? And the really cool thing about that is that when you share that with people, they go, Okay, sweet, so so fluency isn't isn't necessarily my my aspiration. It's like well only if you want to become fluent. If you're the sort of person who actually this is really hard and uncomfortable and for you, just picking up the phone and saying killed is about as much as you can manage. Mm. The point is that that's okay. We need people. So we need our All Blacks. And I'm not one of them, by the way. Sure. There are people out there who live and breathe, who do so much for teo Māori. They are our elite. They yeah. are our All Blacks. There are other people below them and below them. And I'm probably somewhere in the middle. You know, Other people might think I'm more than that. I'm not. I'm just a humble dude trying to run a business yeah. and trying to teach his kids and speak to his kids There's in Māori. For me, that's about as much as I can do. You know, I I, I would love to say I do more. But for me, that's about as much as I can do. There are people out there who deserve far more recognition than I do. But that's because they're playing at a much more elite level than mm. I am. So I know my place. A- a- and the point is that if your place is, hey, look, I can only manage picking up the phone and saying kia ora, and, you know, on a really on a day where I'm feeling really brave, I might be able to, be able to say, How is was your whānau? But mm. that's about the extent of what I can manage. We go, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think sharing those stories enables people to go, okay, sweet, so I, I know where I can sit. And actually, Anton's telling me that a he te he although it's only it's small, small, it's a important, it's, yeah. it's vital. Yeah. So I think sharing those stories gives people confidence to go then have a go. And that's part of what I try to do every day. Right? Yeah, no,
0: I think that's beautifully put, to be honest. And that, that whakatauki with regards to just because it's small mm. it's still important, still a treasure. It is. is. Is important. And I think it gives hope for those who genuinely want to get into that space. I know... One of the places you are hustling with regards to the language, in particular, mm-hmm. is on social media. Mm-hmm. You're you're trying to come out there and share daily kupu and TikTok and things like that. Is there any particular reason why you've you've ended up in these spaces to to do this? Because that that isn't easy. I know this as someone who consumes and studies social media mm-hmm. that it's a difficult place to engage in because. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of people ignoring you. Mm-hmm. There's also just the time it takes out of everything else you're doing in order to do that. You're clearly passionate about it. What what got you into that, and why why was that important to you? Do you think?
1: Well, I think because it was an audience there. Yeah. You know, TikTok isn't something I, I I I participate in. Yep. Um. Other than I try to create content that's going to appeal to an audience that's on TikTok because I know that if they're on TikTok, they're probably not on facebook and they're probably very rarely on instagram right and so it's about kind of going well look different audiences if my goal is to try and normalize it that doesn't mean normalize it amongst one niche group of people Mm. it's about trying to spread it as far as i as i can and i resisted you know those reels and tiktoks for a long long time because it wasn't something that i understood but i had to come to terms with the fact that there are a lot of people out there especially our young people Mm. who actually the the key to unlocking this that the language lies within them you know, so it's about trying to appeal to them and, and in order to appeal to them you have to go where they are. Sure. You can't just expect people to come to you. So I think for me it was, you know, it, it's it's difficult, uh, it's time consuming, as you've said. Would I rather not be on TikTok? Yeah, I probably <laughs> would rather not be on TikTok. Yeah. But I think there's a there's an audience there, you know, and if there's an audience there, I want to try and put some content out there that might inspire a few people to go, Hey, this is really cool and if one or two of people, or more, pick it up mm. and they take it with them, well, then I've done my job. You're winning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's only one of me. Mm. And to be honest, when I started getting into this, it was one on one or one on few, mm. you know, less mm. of the workshops, and then we went to the group where we had to try and find a way to get more people in the room, mm. you know, and that was where our classes came came into, you know, so we ran a class in 2017. We welcomed everyone; on. it was free class. Mm. Come along and we ended up with sort of, I think it was about 800 or 900 people in this class. That really Mm. was a a bit of a watershed moment for me because I realized, man, we can get hundreds of people in the same space and leverage one hour of lessons Mm. uh, and and get in front of 800 or 900 people. That's magic, right? Mm. So we went from a one to one to a one to 800 model and then social media is a one to infinity, right? You can Mm -hmm. produce one piece of content and it can be seen thousands if not millions of times. When I realized that, I was like, well, I'm not saying that our content is going to get viewed millions of times, but what if it did? Hmm. What if it was a great piece of content that normalised the word kia ora and it got viewed a million times? How cool would that be? Yeah. So I think it's just the potential of social media that 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 keeps me, you know, that encourages me to keep going back there and to try and put out good content. But mainly, it's because there's an audience.
0: There. Yeah, and it's difficult. I mean, social media has such instant feedback, and if that feedback isn't huge, or sometimes it's negative, I don't have done a full audit of yours, I doubt there's anything negative on there, but if there is, it can be discouraging. What we do know with social media is that as long as the content is regular, as long as the content is good, Mm. then one thing, maybe it's in three months' time, goes viral, Mm. and then the back catalogue of everything that's there starts to get picked up as well, and so you just need to sometimes find that lucky thing that gets picked up for whatever reason and the 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 wave effect of everything previously yep. starts to get picked up because that content's there so mm-hmm. yeah i i haven't checked here this morning if you've gone viral or yet you know, <sighs> might you might have <laughs> I
1: haven't, but, and, and look that's not the, goal. the No, i mean look if it goes viral yeah. then that's fine but it's, it's a bigger happen. audience it's, it's a bigger audience, audience so that's and right, yeah. that's the thing and it's digital and, and digital means 24 yep. 7. it means that people all around the world can see it because I, I live in christchurch mm-hmm. don't particularly like to travel so you know if if the stuff that i teach is valuable well then, people outside of Christchurch don't get to don't get access to that. Whereas online they do, and that's true. Sure. because cool, there are lots of our people living around li- living around the world, uh, certainly living around the country. And if they like what I've got to say, well then I need to. My responsibility as a kaitiaki, getting back to that point, is to make sure that I'm putting out content. Mm you know, that can be accessed by as many people as possible.
0: Yeah. I know we emailed last year talking about an event you wanted to put on, Inspire 21, and um, Delta kind of scuppered that one a little bit, which was a bit of a pain. Uh, But essentially some of the most inspiring people in the country coming to Otatahi to talk about how to be leaders, leaders how, to, how to build inspiration. You've got Ungan222 coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like a similar uh, set of inspiring leaders, and you yeah. started by saying you, you are looking for people that inspire you as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me why it's important to, to put on events like this. I don't think I wrote this question down, so it's a bit on yeah. the fly. I apologise. No, no, yeah.
1: um, oh, look, I think... If we backtrack to Inspire twenty one, that was an event that that was an idea that I had because I just wanted to meet and and, and some really cool people and I wanted to hear their stories because every time I hang out with someone who inspires me, it I have a good week. You know, certainly a good day. And so I was like, Well, let's get around as many of these people as I can. Uh, a really efficient way I said to you before I don't particularly enjoy traveling so I thought well let's ask them to come to us that's easy Um, that costs a lot of money so I thought okay we'll just try and sell some tickets to pay for that so it was really just an excuse to try and get some really good professional development and have someone else pay for it Um, but no to to be honest it was really about trying to put on an event that was going to inspire our community as you said COVID threw the cat amongst the pigeons and it meant that eventually we we postponed it Twice hmm. and eventually we had to uh, cancel it, which was a bit of a bummer because we had a really cool lineup. Absolutely. This particular event, Aungi222, um, really is taking some of the learnings from that experience and hmm. trying to learn from it. So, one of the things that we learned, and you'll appreciate this from a marketing point of view, is that although the lineup we assembled for Inspire21 was pretty cool, um, the question was, who's your target market? Mm. And the target market was everyone, which is never a good idea. you know. So we learned that. Uh, we also uh, were very aspirational. The goal was to try and sell out Christchurch Arena, mm. uh, capacity up to 8,000 people. Very aspirational, as I said. Um, we had a good crack at it, but like I said, it was, it was always going to be a tall order with COVID in the mix. So what we've learned from that is, well, we need to be much more Narrow in our approach, mm-hmm. if we're going to do this, and we need to probably bite off a venue size that's a bit more achievable. So we've gone to the town hall. Cool. Uh, we can have up to two thousand people. I think it's eighteen hundred and ninety nine or something. Mm-hmm. Call it two thousand people at that event. So that's that's also still an, an aspirational number. Uh, and we've gone very niche. We've got six speakers. They're all Marley. Mm. They come from a different, a, a range of different uh, backgrounds, but they are all Marley. And so we've called it Any two twenty two. It's not an event just for Māori people, but it is certainly an event that celebrates Māori success, which I think is a really good message sure. anyway. Yeah. So are they leaders? I think they are. They probably would all say absolutely not because they're all very, really, very humble people, which is why they've agreed to come to my event. Um, because there's no reputation in that, you know, but they've still agreed to come, which is awesome. Yeah, look, we've got a really cool cool range of people. We've got uh, Anika Moore. She's a good local wahine coming back to uh, Tahi to share her story. She's got an amazing story. Mm. You know, she's she's um, she's had to overcome a lot of things in her life. She's got a lot to be proud of. Uh, she's dealt with a lot of uh, um, which she's been quite happy to share. Uh, issues around addiction. Uh, there's been some times in her lives which she's had some highs and she's had some lows. So I hope that you know, hearing her story will inspire other people who might have cool. gone through that themselves or who are you know going through that themselves at the moment. Really excited to have her and hear her story. Uh, We've got uh, Orini Kaipara, uh, who is famous for having her moko kowai and being on the news. So really amazing, inspirational wakine, who's really, she's a bit of a trailblazer and inspires me. I look at her and I think, man, you're awesome. Can't Hmm. wait to meet you and hear your story. And, you know, what has driven you and how have you managed to overcome those, you know, some of those barriers that no doubt you've had to overcome to be able to break into the mainstream. So we've got Orini Kaipara, we've got Stacey and Scotty Morrison who will be coming as a pair and, and presenting as a pair. Again, they bring a different dynamic. They're a couple, mm. so I'm interested to hear, as a couple, how have they navigated that? They have both broken into the mainstream and yep. TV and radio, but they have broken into the mainstream and they've never, ever once uh, played down their Māori tongue and mm. who they are. As, as passionate Māori, Te Reo Māori champions. And I think that's really cool. They've never ever sold out their culture or their language. They've been very true to who they are. And so really excited to hear. And as parents, you know, the struggles and the wins and the losses and the the lessons as parents trying to bring bilingual children up. You know, interested to hear those because I'm probably experiencing some of that stuff as well. And it'll be nice to hear that I'm not the only one. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, Piriwepu, uh, the all-black legend, Peter leader of the, of the haka, you know, how many photos, how mm. many images have we seen of him leading the haka in front of tens of thousands of people. Can't wait to hear his stories, some of the challenges. And, you know, I was really interested. I, I fell in love again with Peter when I watched that TV series that That's came right. out about two or three years ago. The name escapes me at the moment, but it was about post footy mm-hmm. the struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, really keen to, to connect with him on that level because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who had aspiring sporting careers, for whatever reason, it didn't work out, or maybe it did work out, now they've retired, who probably are going through some of those same things as well. So I think it's really important that we see our heroes sure. you know, sharing those stories, because they're just people. It normalises those difficulties. It. Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, we've got Sir Ian Taylor, totally different. Tech, you know. Um And what I love about Sir Ian Taylor, from what I know of him, is that he he's he's the sort of guy who goes, let's just do it first and work it out later. Sure. He just, you know, I love that, because you know, I'm a little bit the same. Yeah. So really keen to hear about his journey. Um, some of the technology that he has brought to the world is is amazing. You mm. know, uh, around cricket, around um, yachting, some of the things that we see and take for granted, we don't realise that there's a Maori entrepreneur behind some of that stuff. Mm. So I'd love to hear that and inspire that next generation of Maori coming through who want to get into that tech space or that STEM space. Uh, and then we've got Stan Walker, uh, who, again, has an amazing story. Um, uh, I don't actually know if he was born in Australia, I'll ask him, but certainly when I was introduced to Stan Walker, it was on Australian Idol. That's right. It was this young 18-year-old singing John Legend. Yeah. Uh, amazing voice. And then over the years, he has obviously moved back to Aotearoa. Uh, he's about to have a child if he hasn't already done so. And uh, he's really, now he's putting the entire albums into the Reo which I just think is so damn cool.
0: And again, another person who has had a very difficult past mm, that's right. and not to say he's not ashamed of it, but he knows the power that comes from talking about these things because there are others who aren't able to talk about it.
1: Look, and I I remember when, uh, before it came out, some of the health struggles that he went through, before it actually came out, I remember seeing uh, how much weight he had lost some of the mm. comments, some of the rumors that were going around. I just thought, how nasty is yeah. that? Again, it would be really good to hear from someone who's had to be in the spotlight, how do they deal with that? Yeah. So, look, I think it just it's about normalizing some of these stories and showing the community that these are just normal, ordinary people, yet they are doing extraordinary things. Yeah, Let's learn from them. Absolutely. Yeah, And so it's about inspiring the community and it's about celebrating their success and actually giving them their props. Sure. Because the fact that we even know who these people are and that they haven't brought shame upon our people means that they've had to do a whole bunch of things right. Hmm. So one of the questions I want to ask all of them is, you know, if you had to do it all, all over again, ask you, give some advice to your, say, 16-year-old self, what would that advice be? What have you learned? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's really what that, that's all about. And then just to add to that, um, I'm really proud to be able to showcase um, Tefano Tahi. So that's my old school. Kura uh, up here in Tahi, they uh, their wharekura, their high school, is standing at the Nationals that very week, during the week, and then on, on the Saturday of Angi 222, they'll be performing their bracket. So we're going to be able to see uh, the, the next generation of kapahaka exponents, right. these, these rangatahi come through and really struck their stuff, and I think that will be really cool. Because when you see good kapahaka, it does send shivers up your spine. Yeah, it's yeah. So gam- And these people, these are kids, you know, they, they really are but the way that they carry themselves is as if they are adults. Sure. Not to put that pressure on them, but they are—they represent their culture and our people and our kura so well, mm. so well, and I can't wait for all totahi to see that.
0: And this comes, again, the, the kura kopapa model, which is embedded uh, in te ao Māori, te reo Māori, all the, all the way through. you It's always going to be central to who you are because there's no alternative as such. It's not like, all right, you get your one hour te reo Māori or you have your teacher doing X, Y and Z so that that whole package of the reo the kapahaka mm. everything it, it, that authenticity comes through as a result and they can they can present it in that way
1: Yeah, it's something that as I get older I become more and more passionate about it and I, the, the more I you know, my children are now going through the kura kaupapa system, mm. system and the more I uh, immerse myself in that world the more I see its benefits at the same time I have to I have to be careful because I don't want to make it sound like there are you know, Māori that aren't in that system somehow you know, are not worthy or are not real or whatever. Sure. You know, it's, it's not about that, but it's more about celebrating the success of Kura Kaupapa. You know, Oreni Kaupara, who I just spoke about, is a graduate of Kura Kaupapa. Hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think it's, in, it's important for our Kura Kaupapa kids to hear that. Yeah. You know, and go, okay, so being at Kura but is not a disadvantage. I think for a long time it was seen as it. what's the trade-off? Yeah. Well, we want to get to a stage where there is no trade-off, first of all, which is kind of where we are now. Where we eventually want to get to is that not only is there no trade-off, there are huge advantages, advantages from coming through that system. But, you know, we're about 30-odd years in. Yep. Um, the, the data speaks for itself. Some of the graduates, you know, like myself, Orini and tons of others are now coming through, working their way into senior positions, running mm. businesses. And I think as that happens more and more, Māori will gravitate to that world. And I think when Māori come to that world, then they will realize, wow, this is, this is where, this is, this system, this education system is where our people need to be. That's just my own personal sure. whākāro, my thoughts. But that's my experience, uh, both as a student and now as a parent with Tamaniki yeah. coming
0: through that system. But there, there's still a generation, and we don't want to necessarily go down this line too much, there's still a generation or a mindset mm. that believes it's either equity or excellence. Uh, that, that it's uh, We can do the equitable thing, but we're going to have to compromise on the excellence. And what Kurokopopura is starting to show, or has shown, is that those things aren't, you know, they they aren't opposites. You can have both the right thing to do and excellence. We're doing this at university as well, trying to trying to take away that stigma of this is because you know we need to do the right thing, but we're not we're going to need to compromise on X, Y, and Z, and that's absolutely not true.
1: Yeah, look, I think as universities and as industry and government starts to recognise that the 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 Rangatahi who are coming through could cope bring a whole set of values that can't be learned in a classroom or in, in a degree you know, or in a short course. This mm. is learned through years and years of just being immersed in pōwhiri and tikanga and karakia and waiata. That's what I mean, like I grew up in this world and I didn't know that it was different mm. to anyone else until I learned it was different. Yep. And you can't just go, and, there's no short course or no Netflix series or whatever that you can just watch and learn this stuff. So, these kids that are coming through are bringing so much experience and so much cultural value to the table, and it's beginning to happen. You know, as universities, as industry, as government recognizes that, you know, the, the graduate who can get up and he can deliver a karakia on the spot hmm. without rehearsing it, that's so valuable. We need that as part of our business or as part of our organization. The, the, the child who can get up and can speak about uh, Te Tiriti o Waitangi or about Tikanga can offer all of this cultural insight at the drop of a hat. Those are the sorts of skills that we need as a business or as an organisation. Sure. When, when industry wakes up and realises that, and it's beginning to happen, the value of those Kura Kaupapa students are going to go through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm doing some work at the moment in, in the water space mm. and it's becoming abundantly clear some of the positions that have been and are being created as we speak in the water space can only be filled by these graduates. Sure. So it's gonna mean that there's gonna be a fight for these people. And I think that when Māori see, wow, industry are fighting for these people. Iwi, you know, there's a huge undersupply mm. and there's massive demand for these people. Absolutely. And I think when that, when, when Māori begin to see that, they'll go, wow. I need to be putting my children into that space because it sets them up for success.
0: And, and this is one of the difficulties I had. So I, part of my job is I work in the postgraduate office here, mm-hmm. so we're trying to support the next generation of Masters and PhD students. And we struggle to attract um, Māori students, not because there aren't amazing numbers of capable Māori students out there, but there are so many good Māori students that when people spot them and said, we will snap you up into their business world. We will take you into government. We will, mm-hmm. t- And so asking them, actually, could you hang around and get paid really badly to do a PhD is a hard sell mm-hmm. when someone's offering three times as much and positions of uh, of influence and impact where they can uh, enforce changes. One would hope in time mm-hmm. we, we, we've we addressed some of the supply issues and we can see some of those come back to to, to grow their knowledge and, and spend that time and focus on it. Uh, but in the meantime, it... it it's a bit of a hustle trying to, trying mm. to support that. Totally. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and that's the hustle, man. That's the hustle. We're all on it, right? No, look, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think there will be, probably for the next, probably 10 years, yeah. I think, it's going to be a little bit like this. There is going to be, you know, I've had a few meetings just in the last few weeks with big corporates mm. who are realising, wow, we need, you know, for example, to give, you know, the Water Care Act says we need to give effect to Te or What does that mean? Okay, well, there's probably a really smart uh could a of a graduate out there who can help us with that without unlocking, without finding the answer to that part, to money why we can't bid for this million dollar contract and when we need the million dollar contract to keep the, the wheels turning So it's like these these young people are gonna become so influential and so valuable. And so it is going to be a hustle to try and fight and, and hold on to them. And that's
0: probably what you're experiencing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we we were on a panel recently with the Chamber of Commerce talking about that line between appreciation and, appropri- and appropriation when mm-hmm. it comes to culture. Yeah. My worry in uh, hearing stories like this is that, oh, we need to get this funding. Let's found, find someone Māori. Yep. And, and almost appropriate that ticker box tokenism. Mm-hmm. How do we protect that so that it's not tokenism? Do yeah. you, I mean... Do you have ideas? What are the oh. things we can do? Do we just need to make sure that our young Māori, rangatahi, are strong enough that they can go and say, "No, nah, yeah. I'm not going to be treated that way." Or no. what else can we do? No, I mean that's part of it. Yeah,
1: but that's an enormous responsibility to put on sure. the shoulders Absolutely. of a young, you know, child. Basically, yeah. you know, that, 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 that's too much.
0: Who's learning themselves? Who's as learning
1: well. themselves. I mean, it's one thing to transition from high school to tertiary into the workforce. That transition is hard enough. Yeah. without needing to add the pressure of, oh, by the way, you need to represent your people right. and tell the boss to go and get stuff because that's a cultural appropriation. It's, it's unrealistic. So I think the answer, well, there's lots of different answers. Um, one of the things that people like me mm-hmm. need to do is we need to stand up and be a voice for those people. So we need to really protect our young rangatahi coming mm. through and make sure that we're not sending them into places where they are going to be, taken advantage of mm-hmm. so like one of, one of the pieces of work I'm doing at the moment is in the water sector and one of the things that we've identified is that industry actually isn't ready to accept these rangatahi mm. they want them but they're not actually ready yeah. because and so there's a real reluctance among Maori to send their rangatahi into these places because industry is not ready to take care of them mm. they don't understand the way they see the world they value them because they see them as the key to unlock The contract, sure, but that's not really value, is it? You know, that's valuing money over everything else they bring. Yeah. So until industry and, you know, the the training sector and government and all of these different influential places of work, until government until our country is ready to value these things, uh, these these the the cultural experiences and assets that our Mangatahi bring to the table, until that happens. We really, it's it's irresponsible for people like me to encourage our own to go into these spaces. So there's a lot of work to happen. Mm. There are lots of willing partners out there as well, which is the great news. There's lots of government, there's lots of uh, different private organizations who want to create safe spaces. But really that's what Article 2, of Tiriti Te O'Waitan is about, it's about right. protection. Yeah. You know? And what is protection? It's not just enough to say, we're gonna put it in our charter, or we're gonna have a name, or something. Exactly. That's not enough. It's about active protection. It's yeah. about always being alert and thinking. What can we do? What more can we do to create spaces where these people are safe? Yeah. They feel safe culturally. You know, the language is protected. Not only is it protected, but it's we encourage all of our staff to participate. And the great thing about it is that when you see when a business or an organisation sees the massive positive impact that that thinking creates. That becomes the framework for not just protecting, actively protecting Te Reo Maori and Maori culture, but for actively protecting all of our minorities mm. and, all of the, and all of their cultures. You know, um, and you can you can cut up our society in a number of different ways. Sure, you can go Maori non-Maori, but we have young people and we have old people. We have gay people. We have straight people. We have males. We have females. We have people who believe in this religion and that religion and everything else. There are so many dif- different people out there who feel disenfranchised, when mm. you have a business or organisation who is actively looking for ways to protect these people, they attract a diverse range of people. When you attract a diverse range of people who feel safe, yeah. you get the best out of them.
0: And It's not just attracting them though, it's about elevating them mm. You know, uh, in that space. I remember I had a conversation with a young man who graduated from us a couple of years earlier, working in a big firm in town and he was just heartbroken with yeah. how he was effectively having to give up his culture. He's South Asian, like mean, give up his culture in order to fit in. Um, and he said, but I, I, I want to be the change. I want to be there. And I said, give me an idea. How diverse is it at the graduate level, at the entry level? This is quite diverse. All right, next level up it uh, gets worse. Next level up gets worse senior leaders, there was one female leader, everyone was Pakia, basically. Mm-hmm. And I said, what does that tell you? That they will take you at the entry level, but they won't elevate you uh, uh, further up. And, and that was kind of revelationary for him in that we can now work with him, work with the the organization to say, well, what needs to happen in order to see this? Is this something you actually value? Or do you just value it at that that tokenistic sort of level? And mm-hmm. it was hard for him to accept mm-hmm. that. One of the issues we find here, but other businesses as well, is that if you're one of the few in there, uh, you feel isolated. You feel you feel difficult. You don't have that protection. So talking about that protection and you being able to uh, offer a tiny part of that, but also building a cohort so people don't feel isolated. Um, some of our carers here, our mentors here, um, initiated a tākare program, which is effectively uh, helping young Māori and Pacific. Um, uh, students coming into university yep. to build a cohort first, and then even if you don't have that person in your class, you know they're on campus. You know you mm-hmm. can connect. You don't feel so isolated. Yeah, you not like, like the only one. The only one. And I think if we have that as they move into business as well, a mm. similar sort of cohort where they know they can connect, then life is going to be I'm not going to say easy, but definitely easier. They know there's someone else and say, "Hey, is this normal? Is this is this right?"
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I totally agree. And 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 fush. Has kind of been my little wee experiment mm. in space. It's about well, hey, look, what happens if we do create a space where our Rangatahi who can speak Maori or who want to speak Maori, or for them, their Maori tongue is a big part of who they are. What happens if we create a space where that's celebrated, mm. you know, authentically, not because we have to, because we don't have to. We're a fish and chip restaurant. <laughs> There's nowhere in the playbook does it say we have to do this. Yeah. But when we take the the step to do that, what's what happens? Well. From a marketing point of view, it's put us on the map, so it's been good from a commercial point of view. But from a, a, a staff attrition point of view, it's been great. We hold on to staff. We get great results from them. They, they smile. They're happy because they know that they're working in a business where who they are is, value, is enough. I sure. think that's the thing. It's like you come as you are, and that's enough. What we don't want is what you've sort of described there, a business who sees an opportunity to take on, say a water engineer who happens to be Māori, who can speak to real Māori and they go, Well we we actually have enough water engineers but we don't have anywhere near enough people with the Māori stuff that you bring to the table. So we take that person and rather than putting them into a water engineer position where they would be really, really good, we put them over here and they start translating documents and creating cultural narratives and and, and being a Māori consultant. That's not what they're trained in. You know it's light, like yeah. assuming every Pākehā is a historian. Yeah. Well Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. So, <laughs> you know, if they trained in engineering, maybe make them an engineer. Yeah. Don't assume that they know everything about New Zealand history because that's probably not the case. Yeah, and so we have to be really, and so that's the big part hmm. that people like me and people more senior than me have to do. We need to get back again to the kaitiaki tanga aspect. As good kaitiaki, we need to make sure that we're not setting up our children for failure. Yeah. We need to create safe spaces. And, and sometimes it involves having some really direct, sometimes uncomfortable conversations to find out, well, why do you want our mm. people? Why do you want these randatahi? Because they're special. We're not just going to give them to you willy-nilly just because it's going to help you get a, a $500 million contract, sure. no, not at all. That's not, you know, you need to be authentic. You need to put in the work. So it's a little bit of a top-down as yep. well as a bottom-up approach. Principle. It really has to happen at both ends. Yep. And where we kind of converge in the middle That's where the magic happens, but it can't just be one or the other. Sure. And so, what you've just described as a bottom-up approach, Um, equally, if you just go top-down, yeah, it takes too long to filter through. It's got to be both ends. Got to be both ends. Yeah, one (laughs) hundred percent. I think for me, when I was growing up, Te Reo Maori and the experiences that I had as a Maori child coming through Kura Kaupapa, I thought that they're really the only pathways that were available to me if I was going to use those things we're teaching and maybe kapahaka. Hmm. So I think what I'm trying to demonstrate is that actually there are many more pathways. Sure. Especially in business. You know, there are businesses out there that don't exist yet in the the Māori space. And I think one of the things that Māori we need to get better at is bouncing the Māori dollar around. Finding out who are the other Māori businesses that we can support that can actually help us achieve the things that we want to achieve. You know, like I spend money on marketing. Is there a Maori marketing business out there that I can use? If they're just as good, I have a decision to make. Uh, You know, we recruit a lot of people. Is there a Maori recruitment company out there? We pay for printing. Is there a Maori printing company out there? You know, can we actually build this Maori economy up and can we bounce the dollar around the Maori economy a little bit better than we are at the moment? There are cultures around the world who are excellent at it. Yeah. There are cultures that are very, very bad at it. The dollar comes into the into the family and it just goes straight out within 15 minutes. Sure. Imagine the potential of holding onto that same dollar and bouncing it around a few different whānau and keeping it within that Māori economy. So part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build up a bit of a Māori economy. Uh, my contribution to that so far has been a few restaurants mm-hmm. but and, and some, you know, some consultancy and, and, and perhaps some events, but there's more to do. And there are so many opportunities for Māori entrepreneurs who want to get into this to create their own little businesses. And I'll support them, you know. I buy clothes, I buy shoes, I buy them from shops. Yep. But if there was a Māori alternative, which was just as attractive and priced just the same, I'd buy it from there. Yep. You know, I'm in the market for nuclear new pair of sunglasses. And there might even... <laughs> you know, to, if there's a, a <laughs> sunglasses out there, I want to know who they well,
0: are. And, and some people might be listening and going, wait a second, you know, uh, you know how, is that okay? I'm like, trust me, the Indian community do this. We do this all the time. We will go to the doctors, we will go to the dentists, we will go to the shops where we know that it's supported by our people, not just because we want to support our people, but because they reflect the values that we hold as well. But also it's a way of elevating the, the presence within our community. We know this happens with the Vietnamese community and everything. Mm. This is part of life, and it happens to be part of life in particular when you don't have alternatives. So when you see an alternative that fits who you are and your values, you get excited by that and there's nothing wrong with being excited. by
1: no, that. don't forget, you know, after COVID, the message was shop local. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so What's Zealanders, more local? <laughs> yeah, yeah, as New Zealanders, we understand the value of looking after our own. Yep. Shop local was, let's look after our local businesses. Uh, this is just another version of that, and, and and the truth is there are a lot of whānau out there who actually could do with a hand up. Yep. If I can help them uh, create generational wealth for their whānau, I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. Yeah. You know, so if I'm spending millions of dollars on procurement, let's be really deliberate about where we're spending that money. Yep. You know, and if we can help elevate uh, another whānau, well then that's going to make me feel good. That's part of the the legacy that I'm trying to build. You know. Oh, sure. But yeah, look, anyway, we could talk about that for hours. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been really good. Thank you.
0: Um, I used to ask people in closing um, what, what's breaking your heart at the moment, so that you know what are the things that people can focus on because it might not break their heart. It just got super depressing, and I've stopped mm-hmm. asking that. So, Fair so what are I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what brings you hope? Well, what, 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 if you if you're looking at the world as as weird and as broken as the world is sometimes, yeah. what's the sort of thing? And I think we've heard a lot of it already. But is there something in particular that you think? Yeah, this makes me think twenty twenty two is going to end awesome. Twenty twenty three is going to be even better.
1: Yeah, look. Um, I think if I think about because we all have good days and bad days, right? Sure. The days that are really good, um, that I that I remember for the right reasons, uh, the days where I've where people are positive mm-hmm. and everyone seems to be happy, everyone sees hope and, and and sees you know the light at the end of the tunnel, you know there's aspiration in the room. I just really try and create that as much as possible. So for me, you know, I, I'm trying to build. Currently, we're a business that has. We're about a $5 million revenue business. I'm trying to grow that to $10 million uh, in the next, next, as soon as possible, really, and as safely as possible without being reckless. For me, the reason, the driver behind that is if it were a $10 million business, that means I can employ four to six people on really good salaries uh, in middle management. We don't have that at the moment Mm because we don't have the scale. So we're actually a small business. Yeah, we employ about 50-odd staff. Many of them are, are, are part-time or casual. But the truth is, there are about three or four of us trying to wear about 10 different hats. Yep. And it's quite exhausting. Yep. What I would love to do is to be able to scale our business to a stage where we can have, say, 10 people filling 10 key roles. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that at the moment. Um, for me, that excites me because there are people in our Organization who deserve opportunities, who need a challenge, sure, and who deserve to step into those roles where we can pay them more, yep. so that they can create more generational wealth for their own family. Go out and buy houses, go on holidays, do the things that I that I am fortunate en- enough to be able to do now. That I want the next group of people coming through our business to be able to experience. That's what gives me hope. Yeah. Is that there's potential. There's so much. There's an there's an endless amount of potential out there. Um. The thing that is exciting me at the moment is a, is the potential to create opportunities for people that I know, that I'm very, very close to, that I love dearly, to step into more senior positions to mm. experience more success. That's really what kind of gets me up out of bed every morning.
0: But in a much safer place than maybe you had, um, seeing as how you didn't necessarily have a, a mentor or a guide in the business space who could, who could guide you, well, these mm-hmm. people will have you, you might not be so hands-on, but there's, it's a little bit more of a safety net than maybe...
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, look, I mean, there are things that, I, that I've that i learned over the years that if I didn't have to go through what I went through to learn, that would have been a much more efficient way to, to learn those lessons. The, the people that I'm referring to have the advantage of me just sharing that knowledge mm. with them that I've learned. Um, and, and being a mentor and a partner in that, whether they choose to listen is another story, <laughs> but, but I, all I can do is say, hey, look, I did this. It was yep. a bad idea. If it, if I were you, I'd do things differently. Yeah. Look, I mean, like I said, I, I'm driven to try and build a business. I wanna I wanna bring my family through that as much as possible. I really try my best to bring my tamariki along that journey, so that they know why I'm not at home on a particular night. You know, mm. because it's important that they, they recognise that oh, mum and dad are out there hustling. They're trying mm. to build something so that we can have a better life. Awesome. Uh, that's that's the goal. Yeah. But we wanna. Do it
0: the right way. Kia ora. Thank you so much, Anton, for the time you've taken to, to share some of your heart. I mean, uh, this is meant to be a marketing podcast, but what is inherently obvious is that your business side of you cannot be separated from who you are, cannot be separated from what you're trying to achieve with regards to, uh, to the Māori and Te Ao Māori and Māori tanga in, in general. Um and so I really, really love that you're able to blend those things together, that part of you that's an educator, the part of you that's a business person, the part of you that's a father and a husband and a, and a, a kaitiaki of, of the language and what small part you can play. So I really appreciate the time to share the kōrero the, the and fokaro with us.
1: Thank you. No, I appreciate the opportunity. and uh, Hopefully we can do it again sometime.
0: Definitely. I'll, I'll definitely get you back. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of people with questions. We'll ask them next time. Awesome. Kia ora.